I'm so glad I'm part of the family of God. I can watch in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join in with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family I've invited Byron, uh, for those of you who have not met him, him and his family live in uh, Hamilton, and they are church planters down there, and you've been there for how long? Uh, 11, 12 years. So he, he's been there for 11 or 12 years, and I asked him to open. He's from Pennsylvania, um, from a Mennonite background, 
And so I'm glad to have him this morning, and he will uh, open for us and uh, lead us in prayer. read a couple of familiar scriptures uh, to start with. Um, Let's turn in your Bibles to Matthew 22. We're going to read a couple of scriptures about love. Matthew 22, 34 to 39. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him, that would be Jesus, a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest, the great commandment in in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now I want to turn to John 13, 35. John 13, 13, 35. Um, Uh, We're just taking this verse. uh, By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, in uh, so the scripture of the New Testament uh, was was expressed to us in in Greek, and so we have one word for love, but we use it in a a lot of different ways. we use it very casually, I love that food, uh, or very uh, carefully when we say we express our love for our family or our husband or our wife. Um, and so in Greek, they had different words to express different types of love. Um, the, the New Testament, to my knowledge, only uses two of them, uh, but one of the words that they use is phileo and that has the sense of like brotherly affection or so you could think of it as like a good feeling okay you're having good feelings for your brothers and sisters uh, maybe your family that's phileo but that's not the most common way that or the most common word that is used in the new testament to describe love or to uh, represent love. Does anyone know what that word is? Agape. Agape. So does anyone know what that word means, agape, as it is used in the New Testament? You probably know, maybe some of you do. Well, it's a little bit of a contrast with phileo. So phileo is used at least once in Romans. um, Paul tells us as Christians to 
have brotherly affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ. But most of the other times when love is used, it's used with this agape word. And this is a word that doesn't necessarily require the good feelings that we often associate with love. It is a love that prioritizes the good of the other person. Thank you. The good of the other person even if it requires a sacrifice on your part. Okay, it doesn't require, it may have good feelings, but it doesn't require uh, good feelings necessarily. So, so I would have a couple of questions. Do you always have good feelings or warm feelings toward the Lord? In your Christian experience, have you always had that rush of of, of of happy feelings toward God? Um, have you always had those kinds of feelings for your brothers and sisters in the church? Well, I would say probably not. You guys here at Cornerstone may be superhuman and like super spiritual and always have those things, uh, but I haven't. I don't always. Um, so the question is, can we love anyway? Can we love even if we don't have those emotional, good emotional feelings for other people? And the answer in the New Testament is a resounding yes, of course, for sure we can. By the way, imagine if, if parents, I have, I have some children, imagine if parents parented uh, in a way that required you to have our kids to have good feelings for each other. So, so you know, kid number one and, and kid number two are fighting. Uh, is, this a, is this a tactic that you would use? Kids, have good feelings. Be happy with each other right now. Is that going to work? <laughs> you might say, kids, stop fighting. Or you might, if maybe a little better way, might be say, hey, kids, Go sit together on the couch and, 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 and stay there until you can stop, be happy with each other. Maybe that gets both of those, where you, you let some time and some, uh, some feelings blow over, and maybe they can develop some good feelings. But we don't parent like that, right? We don't expect that our children will always have good feelings, but we try to instruct them in good behavior, and we try to instruct them in the way of the Lord, which is a, a, a way of service, which is a way of love by serving. So God doesn't ask us to do the impossible. Okay, if he was asking us, if he was saying to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another, if that meant good feelings, then we'd be in a bind. I think, because we can't conjure up always those good feelings. But what we can do is we can love one another by service and by sacrificial love. Now, I want to take this one step further, right? We're talking about loving God, loving our neighbor, loving each other in the community uh, of, of believers. But in Matthew 5... We have another commandment regarding love. Matthew 5, 43 to 46. You have heard that it was said, 
you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward uh, have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? So here he takes it a, a big step further, right? It's, it's one thing to love the people that are like nice and under normal circumstances will love you back. Uh, it's one thing to be told to love God. You know, God is love, so, you know, we're going to be, uh, he's going to love us and, and we should love him. It's only right that we would love him. But he, here he's telling us to love our enemies. But it's really interesting to see how Jesus unpacks that. He says, love your enemies. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean have good feelings toward them. That's not what he says. He says what? Bless them that curse you. Do good to them who hate you. And pray for them who spitefully use you and persecute you. Like this is like the definition of agape love here. He's telling us, he's not saying anything about feelings, but he's saying everything about action. So agape asks, what is best for the other person? What is best for the other person in a particular scenario? And that's what I'm going to do. No matter if it costs me a lot. No matter if I don't feel like it. Uh, no matter if they are hateful toward me. Now, um, Jesus taught all this stuff, right? We've talked about how he, he taught us to love God, love others, uh, love um, our enemies, love each other in the church. But he didn't just teach it. He walked the walk. He walked the walk. In Romans, it says that while we were yet sinners, okay, while, a little bit later in that passage, it, it talks about us being enemies of God. While we were yet sinners and enemies of God, he agaped us. He loved us. So he, we were his enemies. He taught us to love our enemies. We were his enemies, and he loved us. He agaped us. He did something that he didn't want to do, right? He, his body, his flesh did not want to do it, yet he knew that's what he needed to do for our good, for our good. Do you think Jesus had good feelings for us on the cross? Do you think he had good feelings for his torturers when they were beating him, when they were nailing him to the, uh, uh, to the cross, when they were mocking him? I don't know. I don't know if Jesus had good feelings toward them, okay? I don't think he had sinful feelings toward them. I don't know if he had happy feelings toward them, but I do know that he loved them, and that's the example that we can take. So this agape is really the basis. It's really the foundation for our lives as followers of Jesus. Brother John's going to be talking about a particular teaching in the scripture, and we can, any, any teaching in the scripture, we can trace it back, trace it down to love. Loving God, loving others, loving uh, others in the church, 
uh, loving our families, um, even the people that we have the worst feelings toward, even our enemies, uh, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So let's pray and then uh, we'll invite John to share with us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, you showed us agape love and we can be confident that when you told us to do that, um, you meant it and you showed us exactly how to do it. And so I pray that as we consider your word, as we consider your teaching about how we should live as followers of you, we can remember that it's about um, following in your footsteps and it's about uh, loving uh, God and loving other people as you showed to us. I pray for John as he comes and speaks to us that your spirit would be upon him. In Jesus' name, amen.
Good morning, everybody. We do want to pray for all those um, who are not here with us because they're at conference and, uh, and everything that's going on there. So we definitely want to pray for the elders and pray for those who are there. And uh, I want to thank you all for coming this morning. Um, be turning to Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. Um, and I want to talk to you about the doctrine of nonviolence. It's something that I've investigated into quite a bit. And I ha- we live in a day where there's a lot of, uh, a lot of animosity, a lot of... Uh, what, what people would call hatred, um, anger, passion um, against one side or another. And I think that this um, understanding of Jesus' love and goodness is something that our world desperately needs. And we as Christians should be the ones to exemplify love and goodness to the world. Now, we put this, when I, when I, this is not the first time I've, I've spoken on this. When I first put I included in our doctrinal statement, our church plant, it says, we believe that it's the will of God for Christians to refrain from violence, either vengeful or instigated, rebellion or carnal war, but instead to promote Christian love to all men. I do believe that it is God's will and desire for us to refrain from violence. And I think when we understand our faith as being Christians, is everything in our faith or a faith walk or our life is a response to something. Either I'm living in such a way that's a response to the world around me, or I'm living in such a way that's a response to God's work in me. My goal as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, is that my entire existence is a response to him, not to the world around me. Because if you look at how unstable our world is, everything is a reaction. Something happens, reaction goes the opposite extreme. Something happens, reaction goes the other extreme. And they're responding and reacting to what's going on. And it's very true when they are unstable and because they're tossed to and fro. But in everything for the Christian, life is a response to the Christ work in our own lives. And as Christians and followers of Jesus, we aim to pattern our lives after his life in teachings, in discipleship, which is why we as followers do our best to refrain from violence. Our words and behaviors are to be determined by God, not an outside influence. I think one thing that Byron pointed out well was when Jesus was being beaten, he was being persecuted, he was being crucified, he could have easily reacted, defended himself. He could have called down legions of angels to protect him. Instead, he chose to go forward and love those who were persecuting him, even to the point of paying the ultimate price. And he gave us an example. And if you remember, it's in Mark 8 and other various passages where Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple... You have to pick up your cross, and you have to follow me. Christ has called us as his people to live a certain way that sets, sets us apart from the world around us. We should be different from the world around us. We should not be ashamed about that. We should be different. And one of the ways that we're different 
is we don't think violence is the answer. And we don't think violence is the answer because Jesus tells us that violence is not the answer, but love and goodness in response to God's work in our lives. So we refrain from violence, and instead, so if you remember from last week, we talked about the sufficiency of Scripture. Instead of violence, we promote love. And I love how Byron said, it's not always a feeling. It's not always a feeling. I'm, when he was saying that, I was thinking of a situation personally in my life where, um, where I had to really work through some hard emotions, and I had to come to the conclusion that my response to someone that I, the closest thing I could ever consider an enemy is technically my response to God's working in my life to be able to love that individual. So today I want to look at a couple different passages, if you would be turning to Matthew 5 if you haven't done so, and discuss the implications the scriptures give us in regards to living Jesus' life after him. And again, I love, I really appreciate Byron, he talked about the foundation of nonviolence is love. I'm going to take another foundation, I think there are a few pillars that build this up, is on one pillar... The foundation on nonviolence is love. Another pillar is God's goodness. God is good regardless of how bad our world is. Regardless of how evil things get, God remains good just like God remains love. And I'm going to be using, moving, I'm going to be leaning on the goodness part of other God. So um, I'm going to be looking at the characteristic of goodness and our understanding of nonviolence. So let's read Matthew 5, 43 through 48, and then, I will, and then I'll pray, and then we'll go ahead and get looking into this. So starting at verse 43, it says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh the Son, his Son, to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans do the, uh, publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye per- therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Lord, we come before you in this passage. I, I'll be honest with you, it, this, this topic makes me a bit uncomfortable. Because, not just because of my background, but Lord, just it goes against my flesh. It goes against um, what I would naturally want to do. And Lord, but you have called us to live beyond ourselves. You've called us to live in your footsteps, denying ourselves. And I ask you to help us do that today. Help us to live in such a way that bring you glory, that would show love to those around us, and that as we would be, as you say here, perfect like our Father in heaven. We do lift up um, the conference going on right now, and our elders as they're discussing important matters, that you would give them wisdom. Whether they would follow in your footsteps, or they would know your will, Lord, that you would bring unity and purity. Lord, that your church would be a light to the world and they would find their life in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty. So looking at verse 43 and verse 44, I'm going to read them again to you and I'm just going to make some comments here. So ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. 
But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, and do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, if you notice, there are two things that fuel nonviolence. The first one, as Byron said, was love, and the second one's goodness. It's naturally, it's natural, as Jesus says, it's natural to love those who love you. I, I have a wife, and we've been married for over 14 years now, and it's easy to love my wife. My wife is one of those people that it's easy to love her. I, she loved, I love her so well because she loves me so well. My wife is easy to love because she's a loving individual. And so there are those people who love you. And he says, if, he goes, uh, um, so it's easy to love. And he said, you've heard it been said. And I, and I want to point this out. He goes, you've heard it been said that love your neighbor but hate your enemy and if you look here at verse 44, it says, But I say unto you, what is he saying? He's saying that whatever you've heard, he's going to correct it. He's going to supersede it. He's going to correct it. That's why it's important that we understand that Jesus shows us how to understand the rest of the writings. Because he supersedes them and he shows us what they mean. He goes, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard from the teachers You've heard from others that you are to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you otherwise. Now, I want to point out here that it doesn't say to never have enemies. I've met people that they've never had an enemy. You've got to be careful because people who don't have enemies usually are not genuine people. They, they want to fit in with everybody. They become very chameleon-like. Jesus is not asking us to be chameleon people. He's not asking us just to blend in with whoever we're around so that way we fit in and no one ever dislikes us, whatever. Jesus was hated. He says, if you follow me, you're going to be hated too. He's not saying that we should never have enemies. But because if you live for Jesus, your life will automatically make enemies with those who hate truth, light, and life. They will hate you. But just like their actions do not determine our response, their actions, words, and lifestyles also do not receive our approval. Again, we don't give our approval to the things that dishonor and go against God. That is never the Christian's position. He's not saying that here. But the action here is to never is not to never have enemies, but to love them anyway, and as much as depends on us, that we're going to live at peace. We're going to love them because they're not the condition by which our love comes. The condition by which our love comes is from God through Christ. We will show love to those who curse us, and criticize us, but we don't join them in their behavior. I think it's interesting. When you look at abuse or something that's going on, and you ask someone, why are they behaving like this, either through cursing or, um, or using or abuse, they, can, they will always point back, well, so-and-so did it to me. That's never a reason for us to to violate this command, to participate in, in cursing and abuse and using and persecution. We are not to be that side regardless of how we're treated. Because everybody could say, well, I'm this way because this happened to me. Our lives, again, are to be completely in response to the work of Christ in my life. Not something that happened to me 20 years ago, not something that happened to me five years ago, but completely in response to what Christ is doing in my heart, to what Christ is doing in my life. And you overcome that 
by living beyond yourself. And again, in verse 44, it says, But I say to you, love your enemies. That is a sure sign that you are living in response to Jesus' work in your life. Is because when someone gives you every right to hate them, and yet you choose to love them anyway, shows that you're working by God's divine power and love to bestow that on that individual. When Jesus was being persecuted, he chose to love them anyway. And it does, like he said, there's those that when they are cursing you, that you bless them. Never in Scripture, if, if someone's cursing you, does that justify me being able to curse them back? We are not to treat them poorly because they treat us poorly, for our deeds are determined by Jesus, not them. We'll do good to them regardless of how they treat us. For we live in response to the goodness of God. So when we're slandered, we don't slander. We pray for those who use us or come after us. We pray for those who attack us, not attacking back. Not attacking back. We pray that they would see their error and their way of life and path in life. Because the child of God aims to love those who hate, bless those who curse, and do good to those who do evil, and pray for those who abuse and persecute. Again, if you look how unstable our world is right now, you got this side justifying violence, this side that's justifying violence. There's got to be someone that says violence is not the answer, and that person is Christ and his church. The church is to say violence is not the answer. Okay, That's where Jesus was. And that's what we're called to be. We're called, so in response to that, we bless them that curse us, we do good to them that hate us, and we pray for them that despitefully use us and persecute us. And then Jesus says in verse 45, that ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. So we are children of God who is love. That's, John, the apostle, tells us God is love. And our living shows that we're children of God. It says that you may, that you may be children of your Father which is in heaven. How do we show that we're children of God? By how well we love our enemies. And he shows us that not only does the Father and Jesus command us to love our enemies, but he actually shows us how to do that. Because we're living the same, we're living what Jesus and his Father also lived. It's his will for us. And we, too, want to live in accordance to the same will of the Father. In Ephesians 5, 1-2, I'll just read it to you. It says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given us him for, for us an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And here it is. Be followers of God as dear children. Let's be imitators of God. And... We are supposed to, Christian means little Christ. We're supposed to be walking the footsteps of Christ to be that example to our world, to show us what Christ is like. So we walk in life, lo, we walk in love as Christ also had loved us and has given himself for us. So how we treat someone has nothing to do with who they are. Nothing to do with who they are. And, I, and, I, and it's something that, that we should pray about and think about is if my worst enemy shows up to my doorstep, how am I going to treat my, treat my enemy? How am I going to work with that individual who hated me, persecuted me? You, 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 mentioned, you say it. What, how am I going to treat that individual? Is my life 
determined by what they did or about what he does or what he did in my life. So it has nothing to do with who they are, what they've done, or how they've treated us. It has everything to do with who I am and what Christ has done and the goodness of the Father has given us. God is good and He works goodness into our lives. And that goodness is expressed by a love for people regardless of who they are, what they've done, and, or how they treat us. And God is the perfect example here. Remember Ephesians 5, it says, Be followers or imitators of God. God is the, fa- the Father is even the perfect example here because He says um, right here in the second half, He maketh His Son to rise on the evil and on the good. The very sunshine that you enjoy, so do your enemies. The very sunshine that God created to be good, the people who hate God enjoy every day. God doesn't say, no sunshine for you. (laughs) No sunshine for you. No rain for you. You'll see see someone, let's say someone is a a worker, and and let's say they're a business owner, and you'll find out that their business is just booming. And they are wicked, they are vile, they are wretched, and yet their business is flourishing. They are enjoying the blessing of God even though they hate Him. Why? Because God is good. And God bestows His goodness even on His enemies. So the people who hate God enjoy the blessings of God even though they don't love God. And so God's a perfect example. of God is good to those who hate Him, so should His children. So it's, as He uses the example here, He maketh His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and He sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Because God's good, and he acts out of his nature regardless of how they feel about him. Now, like God allows the blessing of sunshine and rain to come upon those who hate him and are unjust in their life, so the Christian treats the same individuals with love. If God is bestowing goodness on a wretched, enemy, wicked God-hater, if he's bestowing goodness and love, what is his will for us but to bestow goodness and love? to those same individuals. This love is non-discriminatory and it's unconditional, appealing to all mankind to know the one who loved them enough to die for them. As Byron said this morning, while we were yet sinners, I have to remind myself, there was a time when John Kenner was the enemy of God. I was hostile to God. I was at enmity with God. And even though I was hostile to God, Christ died for me. And if God loves those who hate him, we as his children of we as the children of God do the same. Now looking at verse 46, for if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be therefore, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. If we only love those who love us, we're no better than anybody else. We're no better than anybody else. We're no better than those who steal from all through abuse. Again, the tax collectors, the, the publicans at this time would abuse their office. They would steal from people. Um, you, I, I still see it now. Taxation is theft. And And they would steal and they would abuse. And he goes, even the people who are most hated in society love those who love them and are loved by those they love. 
He goes, if you're just doing what they're doing, you're no better than a tax collector. You're no better than someone who is stealing from most people and abuses others. We're not, when, when Christ calls, He calls us to a different kind of life. He doesn't call me to look at a tax collector and say, what you're doing is wrong. He calls me to live differently from the tax collector. We're no better than those in the world who loves their own. You know, um, a situation at the time I, I really, really bothered me. But looking back, it's one of the most eye-opening times. I worked for a while in a really bad part of Dayton. You know, we had, there was um, juries that would show up because there was murder cases and things like that. Really bad part of Dayton. There was shootings and it was really bad. And I worked there. And let me tell you something. I saw love there. I saw loyalty and I saw forgiveness. I would meet homeless people who would take the shirt off their back if they thought it would help you. I met people who owned nothing, offered to give me something. Goodness is not about the circumstance that we're in. Now, even though in certain parts of Dayton where I worked, they embraced violence and retaliation, they often showed a level of love and concern for each other that I had not experienced much in my life. And it opened my eyes. And whenever, and for those, most of you know, we run, we, I ran a mission center for a number of years in Eaton. And when you get to know a part of a community that nobody else wants to get to know, you'll find out that they love and they're loyal. I had a guy, um, he had real bad Tourette's and he had a really questionable past and he had to be on medication. He had to be constantly surveillanced and he was just, he was not a safe person to be around. But I got to know him and, uh, and I got to talk to him and he, he told me when the pandemic hit and nobody was working and, and you couldn't get anything, he offered it and he was only allowed a certain amount of allowance. So they'd give him a little bit of money and he could go spend that money and then after that he couldn't spend anymore because he couldn't even control his own money. He offered to give up all of his money to make sure my kids were fed. And that really meant a lot to me. What do we have over the world? And that would be that we love without conditions. The aim is to be perfect, that is, blameless, living in such a way that we act in accordance to God's love, not reacting to the hatred in the world. I think a level, when, we, when we, we know when we are living in the Spirit and we are walking by the Spirit, when our decisions and our lives are determined by what Scripture teaches, what Jesus showed us, and has, not, has nothing to do with what's going on in the world around us. How do we know when we're in the Spirit of God is when we are living like Jesus, even when we live in chaotic times. I think being perfect here means to be complete, and I think it means that my entire existence is based off the goodness of God that was shown to me and not in reaction. Controlled by the Spirit, living in response to God, and walking the steps of Christ. Now, our lives will always make enemies. That's just part of it. Our part is to never stoop to level those around us. Never to be okay with slander just because you were slandered. 
It's, and we, I talked about this a couple months ago when I talked about forgiveness. Forgiveness is basically saying what you did to me was, is not okay, but that does not give me a reason to do it back to you or anybody else. So we love those who hate us. We will continue in our love for Jesus and the truth of, and others regardless of our circumstance. So for clarity, um, our commitment to truth and truth-telling will keep us from embracing sin. So because I follow Jesus and because God has revealed himself in his word, I can know what truth is and I can follow truth, I can read truth, I can embrace truth, I can love truth, I can live truth. I have everything I need in the person of Jesus and, and in God's word. But love will keep sin from embracing me and making me guilty of committing something that goes against that very truth I espouse to have. Now if you would, turn to Romans 12 with me. When I've talked about this before and I've worked with others and I've had to wrestle in my own heart, it's like there's a certain level of demand in my heart for justice. God, this was not just. God, this was not right. God, this was wrong. What they did to me or what they did to my family or what they did to that person, that's wrong, God. That's wrong. And there's a certain level of justice that we cry out for. And I think that's our human nature. When you see something going on and you're like, that's wrong. That's not right. That's natural. That's good. Because we love our enemies does not mean that God is unjust. One of the things that I hear a lot of people say, they say, but if I love my enemies the way you're saying, then I'm, I'm depriving the justice of God. No, you're not. You're just taking it out of your hands. You're allowing God to be the one providing justice. Um, so in Romans 12, verses, um, starting at verse 17, it says, Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. This is where we say we do not react to evil. We do not retaliate or pay people back. It's not what we do. And I think, remember we talked about this, I talked about this when I talked about forgiveness. Forgiveness is saying, I'm not going to let what you did to me define the rest of my life. Because by those who do that, they literally will spend their lives trying to pay them back, retaliate, or find retribution for what took place. You're allowing God to deal and handle the justice. We do, however, commend what is honest and truthful and right. We will always commend what is honest, truthful, and right. We don't allow the world around us to suck us into its system of retaliation and retribution, slander, and malice. Could you imagine what our world would be like if everybody said, hey, clean slate, clean slate. I can't control what happened. I can't control what happened 300 years ago, I can't control what happened yesterday. But we can start from here, love one another, and have a better future. And that's a great message to be preaching from the church. That listen, we've all suffered injustices to some level or point. And we have to trust that God will, allow, will deal justly and handle those things. So we don't allow ourselves to fall into the retaliation and retribution. We don't allow ourselves to fall, fall uh, have ourselves fall into slander or malice, but we do those things which are right and honest. 
Again, walking in the Spirit of God, walking the footsteps of Jesus, doing and living my life in response to who Jesus is, not what's going on around me. Now, when Jennifer and I, I don't know, if, I don't know about you all, when we got married, we'd argue. I don't, I don't, anyone else do that? When we got married, we'd argue. And one of the very first things that we did as a married couple was we sat down and we wrote out some rules for engagement, rules for arguments, okay? No matter in the arguments, this is the rules we'll find. One of the, and we had numerous rules. One of the rules, and we just articulated this because it was, we could remind each other, was one, there is no such thing as retaliation. And if you've ever worked with enough people, you'll find out that a little problem in a marriage becomes a big problem in a marriage because the one who is a victim or the one who is uh, the injustice committed against retaliates. And when they retaliate, they make a little problem bigger. And so one of our rules was never to retaliate. No matter how upset I was, no matter how wrong I felt she was, I never had a permission to retaliate or do something wrong because I justified it because of something that she did. And she shared that conviction. That is what we are to do here. Because retaliation destroys character, it destroys our witness, and it's unfaithful to Jesus. The church makes problems bigger when they participate in retaliation. Love means peace from our end. Maybe not agreement. I don't support this. I don't agree with this. But you're going to have peace from my end. Now in verse 19, uh, Paul says this, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Now, in regards, when you deal with this, there has to be a question with struggle that their pain is for nothing. I'm looking at people who, in some form in your life, and I don't know your stories, you have suffered a level of injustice in your life. Some of you may have suffered tremendous abuse. I don't know all the circumstances. I've worked with people who've, who've suffered this. And when you deal with this idea of, of nonviolence and enemy love and bestowing love on others that don't deserve it and living in a situation of response to Christ, it does bring up this question, John, are you saying the pain that I felt is nothing? Are you saying that basically I have to forget about what was done to me and I have to just live with it because I have to love my enemies? Are you saying that's okay? I, I'm, saying, I'm saying that God says it's not okay, but it's his job to make, bring justice to the situations. There's going to be a day, and we all believe this, that God's going to make all things new. We all believe that, don't we? And in our hearts, we know that God spiritually is already, being, is already making us new, new creations in Christ. But there's going to be a day when God makes all things new. And when he makes all things new, he will also make all wrongs right. In a, in a way of divine understanding and the divine order, God will not only make all things new, but he will also right all wrongs. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you've suffered abuse, legitimate abuse or persecution or suffering or pain because of an enemy or someone who didn't like you, do you believe that God will one day right your wrong or right the wrong that was done to you? And if you believe that, then you can rest assured that you can love your enemies because you trust that God will one day right all wrongs. We believe that God will ultimately make all wrongs right he will turn all cursing into blessing and he will all turn all bad to good. 
I mean, look what He did in you. How much more when He makes all things new? We do not need to avenge ourselves because we believe that God will punish evil and reward good when Jesus appears. There's no need for me to commit evil even if I think it's justified. And I've, I've, I've had those prayers. God, but did you see what they did? God, did you see how they treated me? God, do you know what they did? And you know the thing is, is even when I think it's justified, never is it right for me to commit evil or retaliation or any level of violence. There's no need for me to take vengeance or be instigated into violence because God will rectify all things. And I'm telling you right now, we live in a world right now where there are many Christians that are saying, hey, we're going to take vengeance in our own hands. We're going to take retaliation in our hands. Let it not be you. Let it not be you. Because we trust that God, by church platoon, so basically they're saying one thing is, one, Jesus' example of nonviolence is not good enough. And number two, they don't believe that God will one day right all wrongs. So there's no need for me to fall into rebellion or war because I believe God would judge and set all things true. It is this promise that keeps me focused on my attitude and behavior towards others and not justifying a poor attitude and behavior because of what they chose to do or say. It really, at the end of the day, doesn't matter how I'm treated. It really doesn't matter if people curse me. It doesn't matter if they hate me. What matters is do I continue to love them? Do I continue to show that God is working in me and that my life is in response to the goodness of the Father and Jesus, not them. So what's this mean? Well, verse 20 says, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. <laughs> the fact that you have enemies is not the issue. To not have enemies, again, is not to be genuine. But the fact that you should continue to do good to those who hate you. Um, it says, if your enemy's hungry, feed them. If you see the person, the most vile, wicked person, you said, this, that's the enemy of mine, and you see him out there suffering, and you could do something about it, you should love them. You should go out, you should, you should bestow something on them, you should help them. If they're hungry, you give them something to eat. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. If there's a way you can bless them, bless them. And um, again, I could think of a few stories in my own life where, like Byron said, it's not a feeling, it's not something I want to do, but it's something where I say my life is going to be in response to who Christ, what Christ has done in me, and I'm going to choose to love this individual even though I don't feel like loving this individual. And that is the element here. Again, like he said, it's not about how you feel, it's about what you do, it's an action. Because... Our life is in response to God's love. And basically what he's saying here is you continue to do what is right even when others do wrong. You continue to do good when they do evil. For in doing so, you will be blameless, but they will have more and more wrath because they are doing things that bring wrath. I will answer for Jonathan one day. Jennifer will answer for Jennifer, but I'm not going to answer for them. They will answer for them. But to be, but to commit evil because they commit evil is now my, my responsibility. We are to do 
and what, we're, what should be done even if they don't. We will answer for our actions and they will answer for theirs. For those who follow Jesus who took on God's wrath for us, we will live in accordance to His righteousness, His goodness and love regardless of how we're treated. And, you know, I hear a lot of people talking about the, the future of the world and they say it's not good. As long as the church is here, my prayer is that the church will continue to be an avenue of blessing, an avenue of goodness, righteousness, and that God's kingdom will not, that God's kingdom will show itself different from the kingdoms of this world. And I think Paul sums it up very well in verse 21, where he says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. No amount of evil will defeat evil because evil, it remains evil. The only way to truly conquer evil is with good. So do not evil seep into you. Do not be overcome by it. Evil breeds evil as retaliation breeds retaliation. Um, When I listen to some of our political leaders talk about the war over in Ukraine acts of war, retaliation for acts of war, you see, and they deal with this on a very large scale, maybe none of you are probably in, you probably none of you, you're not making decisions for the United States that way. But retaliation breeds retaliation. If I have my enemy there and I want to get my enemy to act really poorly, I could do something that will make him react very poorly if I react poorly. It has to stop with me. Good must overcome evil. Retaliation must meet its end when it comes to me. If someone's retaliating or coming up against me, it should, as, as, if someone lights a match and throws it at me, am I gasoline or am I water? If someone lights a match and they throw it at me, expecting me to blow up or retaliate or whatever, and they throw a match and, they, and, I, and I'm full of gasoline, I'm going to retaliate, I'm going to react, and then they're going to react and it's going to be ugly. But if they throw that match and it hits you and it's just water, there's nothing going to happen. It stops it. Evil, evil will never be able to conquer evil. Only good will be able to overcome evil. So we put down our weapons, we lay aside our aggression, and we live in the, we live in the goodness of God. And as much as it depends on us, we'll continue to do good because God is good. We'll continue to show love because God is love. And we'll continue in that which is right because God is righteous. And none of that has anything to do with the world around me, my circumstance, or anything else, but on God and who he is. So regardless of the state of the world around us, we rejoice in his goodness and can he live out his goodness on earth. Let me challenge you to love those who hate you, bless those who curse you, do good to those who treat you wrong and pray for those who persecute you. Definitely something that Jesus has set for his church and something that his church must continue to hold on to as we move forward. Let's pray and then we'll have a song. Lord, we thank you again for today. Thank you for those who are here. And Lord, again, be with our elders at the conference. And Lord, I ask for you to be with the church in general. Lord, we... We have what a wonderful opportunity before us to show your love to the world, to show that your kingdom isn't like the kingdoms of the world. 
Your kingdom is different. Your kingdom is righteous. Your kingdom is good. And your kingdom is love. Help us just to hold on to you. Help us live our lives in response to who you are, not the world around us. May we always walk in your footsteps. May we obey your commands. And may we love our brothers and sisters and also love our enemies. In Jesus' name, amen.